Well, hello, Centerpoint Church. Um, it is Aaron here with you um, today. I'm the youth pastor at Centerpoint, and I'm so excited to continue part two of our series, The Resistance. The Resistance, as you guys, if you watched last week, is about spiritual warfare. Um, it's about overcoming temptation. It's about overcoming the schemes and the wiles of the devil. And it's about living as a free people who are actually entering into a war zone with a victorious king. And so I'm so excited to share. I I'm going to be honest with you. When I was, you know, uh, asked to speak this weekend, um, I, I was told that I was, you know, going to speak on uh, overcoming temptation and overcoming uh, the devil and all these things. And as soon as I was told that, it seemed like the entire week was just me overcoming it temptation, right? It was like one temptation after another, one wall, one barrier after the other. And it felt like just like a crazy week. And I'm thankful to God. You know, scripture says that there's no temptation that has overtaken you, but which is common to man. And God is faithful to provide a way of escape. So he provided a way of escape, but I was meeting all of this opposition throughout the week. And what I've realized is this, is that oftentimes when Satan attacks, it's because he's scared. It's because he's afraid. And so I'm actually really excited for what the Lord has this weekend for our Centerpoint family. Because if I was meeting so much resistance myself, so much opposition, God must have something for the children of God to step into something beautiful that he has for us. Amen? So I'm super excited to share about it this weekend. And before we get into any scriptures or anything like that, I, I felt the need and, and the prompting from the Spirit to, to speak about what kind of battle we're actually fighting. You know, I've been so encouraged recently, especially with the state of kind of our world, our community right now, with the scriptures that say something like this. They say, we do not wage war against flesh and blood, but we wage war against principalities, against powers, against dark forces in the unseen realms. And unfortunately, sometimes in the church, and especially right now in our world, we think that our fight is actually against flesh and blood. In other words, our fight is against people. And when we fight people, all of this division starts to happen, and we don't realize that we're actually on the same team to fight the principalities and powers that are causing division. And we are actually on the wrong side fighting each other when actually we've been called to a different battle. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, if we don't know what battle we're fighting, we won't put on the right kind of armor. And, and if we don't know the seriousness of the battle we're fighting now, and now I'm not saying that the, the devil is stronger than God in any way, right? He, he doesn't pay, you know, pale in comparison to him. But it, it is a serious spiritual warfare uh, battle that we are fighting. And if we don't understand the gravity of the battle, the war that we're in, then we won't put on the right armor. And when push comes to shove and attacks actually do happen, we'll be vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And I believe that God wants his church to be so prepared to resist the schemes, the wiles of the devil, the dark forces, the principalities of the prince of the power of the air, namely the devil, our enemy, so that we can stand firm and see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven reign in our world. Can I get an amen on the chat, right? And so I'm really excited to share about this. Um, because I think it has so much gravity for everything that's going on right now. And so we are going to be today in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Okay, you guys can turn there with me, open up your Bibles, crank over it, blow the dust off of it if you haven't read it in a while, right? Get into Genesis chapter 3. And it's a story that a lot of us, if we haven't read it, we've heard it. It's the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. 
And it's actually the first time that we see the devil, the tempter, right? The adversary in, uh, in the Bible. It's the first time that we see him scheming and having ideas. This crest, he's personified as this snake that comes up to deceive Adam and Eve. And you guys probably know the story. God creates this entire garden for Adam and Eve called the Garden of Eden, with, which Eden actually means pleasure. It was where they could walk with God, enjoy God, enjoy all of the fruits, except for God gave them one command to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so Satan comes on the scene presided by the snake. I hope you're there with me. We're going to be reading in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I just want to pick out a couple things, a little, some, some of the tactics that the enemy uses, and then how we can overcome those tactics. So read with me. Again, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither should you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and they ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So I'm going to start running through this scripture, and I hope that you track with me on this. I find it so funny that as soon as God makes this beautiful creation for Adam and Eve, all of these promises, they can walk with God, be in his presence, the enemy comes on the scene. Isn't that just like the devil when you get the promises of God, when you hear his voice, when you're walking with him so strongly, he shows up on the scene to desecrate whatever's going on good in your life, Right? And the first tactic that I see from the enemy here is he asks Adam and Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat of any of the trees in the garden? And the first thing that he does is he asks them a question so that they would question the truth that they already heard from God so that he could implant a lie into them. You see, the first tactic of the enemy is this, it's lying. The Bible actually says that the devil is the father of lies. And so he comes to us. You've probably heard this a lot. Does God actually love you that much? Has God actually forgiven you? Are you actually enough for God? Can you actually not worry about that? And right, we, we can easily see the schemes of the devil when it starts to question the word and the promises that God has already given us. So Adam and Eve are in the garden. They have all this beautiful stuff. And what Satan does is just to create a lie, to be able to breathe a lie into Adam and Eve, he questions what God had already told them not to do. It's crazy because the devil knows this. He knows that scripture actually says the truth will set you free. And so if he can cause confusion in your mind about what is true, what God has already said to you, guess what? He already has you in the palm of his hand believing lies and not actually, he's actually stealing your freedom. And so the devil comes with these lies. And, and what, I, what I really, uh, God spoke to me this, about this a couple days ago actually, which was so amazing, is he said, Aaron, you know what Eve's first mistake was? It was giving the devil attention in the first place. 
And I thought that was amazing. Eve, Eve already lost the battle when she started to enter into a dialogue, a conversation with the father of lies. And sometimes we as believers, instead of just brushing off things, and I'm not even going to listen to the devil's voice, we start to enter into dialogues trying to fight off Satan, and that just makes us more and more confused. Because what you give attention to, you give power to. What you give attention to, you give power to. And, you know, uh, when I was in college, I had this season where I was just struggling with so many lies. I was struggling with doubt. I was thinking that I was unlovable, that I was unworthy. I was ashamed of all of these different types of things. And I was, I was struggling. I was just fighting the devil, you know, in any way that I could, trying to punch him, trying to get all this stuff. And, and you know what, God? I, I asked God, God, what is going around? Why am I trying to fight so hard? And he said to me, he said, Aaron, you only fight the lies that you believe. Let me say that again. He said, Aaron, you only fight the lies that you believe. Because if you actually didn't believe the lies that were coming into your mind, you wouldn't fight them. You wouldn't grapple against them. You would just say, oh, that's totally not the Lord. I'm going to step out of that. But because I was grappling and fighting so hard, right, that's because I actually, there was some semblance of truth in the lies I was being told, that I was unlovable, that I was unworthy, and that's why I was grappling. That's why I was fighting. I was giving so much attention to the devil that he ended up eating my lunch, right? He ended up stealing my joy. He ended up stealing my peace because the devil comes to us with a tactic of telling lies. But let me tell you, Centerpoint Church, you can't reason with the father of lies, you cannot reason with the father of the lies. The second thing that the devil does is he makes them focus on what they lack. Notice in the story, God creates this entire garden for Adam and Eve. They can eat of every single tree in the garden except for one. And what does the devil come and do? He makes them focus on that one thing that they didn't have. And that's often a tactic of the enemy in our lives. When we feel like everything's going good, he will shift our eyes and try and take our attention off of all that we have that is good, focus on the one thing that we don't have, and then create in us in a desire, if I could just get that one thing, if I could just have that one thing that I lack, I need that one thing. And he creates this desire, which can lead us to do anything in our power to get that one thing that we lack. But Adam and Eve, they had all of the trees in the garden. They didn't need to focus on what they didn't have. Because if the devil can get you to focus on what you don't have, he can have you missing all the blessings of God that he has already given you. Right? Because it says this in Ephesians, that all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms have been given to us because we are united with Christ. There is no lack in Jesus. There is no separation from us and God. There is no lack of access to his throne room, to his, his goodness, to all the gifts that he has for us. But the devil will come in and say, you actually lack this, you need this. And that will stir up a desire in us to get something we don't even need in the first place. He comes to us with lack. And in verse four and five, it says this, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So not only does the devil make them focus on the one tree that they don't have, he actually says to them in, in a way that God is holding back from them. That God's actually withholding them. He says, you know what? You're not going to die if you eat from that tree because God knows if you did eat from it, you would become more like him. 
knowing good and evil. And he schemes and he says this lie that Adam and Eve actually need to do something to attain something, to be more like God. Guess what? God already made them in the image He already made them in his image. They didn't need to become like God. They didn't need to attain anything or work up so that they could be more like God. They were already in his image. But what the devil was saying is that God's withholding from you. God's keeping something from you. If you just ate from this, you would be what you've always wanted to be. But they already were that. And how often does the devil do that to us? Do this and you'll attain this. You'll attain this prestige. You'll attain this this level. You know, maybe you'll finally be a good enough Christian, right? But that's not the case at all. You are already a child of God. And there is nothing that you have to do, nothing that you have to eat to finally become something because Jesus, on the cross, he made you everything that you were made to be. You were a new creation that died with him and was raised with him. And your identity is a son and a daughter of him. And so you don't need to live in this lack mindset like God is keeping something from you because he's already given you everything. So he uses lies. He uses lack. And the third thing he uses is lust. Verse 6. This is one of my favorite parts. So the woman, when she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes... She took of its fruit and ate. Oh, I'm sorry. And that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. I've said this before. But the first thing that Satan does to Jesus in the garden is he attacks his hunger. Jesus is been fasting for 40 days. And Satan comes to him and says, turn this stone into bread. In other words, give yourself your own food. And in the same moment, what a recreation of the story in the garden when she saw that the tree was good for food. The Satan, Satan's been doing the same thing from the very beginning of time. He did it with Adam and Eve. He did it with Jesus. You better believe he's going to do it with us. He attacks her hunger and she saw that it was good for food, that it could maybe fill her, that it could maybe give her something that she was lacking. She saw that it was good for food and this, and she saw that it was a delight to the eyes. You know, Satan will always find what you're hungry for, what you're thirsty for, and he will put it right in front of you and tempt you with it. So he will pinpoint any location that you feel hungry in. You want to, you know, you want to have intimacy. So he will put a relationship in front of you. He'll put a screen in front of you, pornography in front of you, all of these different things. You're hungry uh, for success or for comfort, so he gives you this idol of, of money and attaining all of this success and all of this, right? Because it can fill you. It can give you what you need. But it's actually a counterfeit of what God has for us. So <laughs> when I was a kid, when I was a boy, it was so funny when I was preparing this sermon because I was reminded of this story. But when I was a boy, I was on the beach, and um, I was just playing on the beach, and I was digging in the sand, And I was digging in the sand, and in the sound, I found about this size, a a big diamond, okay? And obviously, it was a fake diamond, okay? It was perfectly crafted, beautiful, but I was too young to know the difference between a real diamond and a fake diamond. So I dug up this thing, and I thought I found a real diamond, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be rich, right? You go home, but, you know, I'm like, so so excited, I'm going to have so much money, I'm going to buy all these things, right? Because I thought it was a real diamond, But I was too young to know the difference between a real diamond and a fake diamond. 
And looking back on that story, I remember taking that diamond and I, would, I brought it into my room. I didn't tell anyone I found it because I was scared of bringing it to somebody and them telling me that it was a fake diamond. I wanted it to be real so bad. I wanted what it could give me so bad, but I was scared to bring it to somebody who maybe knew the truth and could tell me that it was a fake diamond because I was scared of the disappointment. And some of us, we don't actually want to take our sin to God because we're scared of God saying, you don't need that anymore. You can actually let that go. I have something better. I have something real for you. So we actually hold on to something that's fake. And we keep ourselves from God giving us something real because all oh, the desire of it, it can give me what I want. It can fill me. It's still a delight to the eyes. I love looking at the crystals. I don't want to know if it's fake, God. And sometimes we hold on to things that are fake, even though God has something so much more real for us in our lives. So those are the three tactics of the enemy that I see in this scripture. He comes out with us with lies. Did God actually say? He comes at us with lack. Makes them focus on the one thing that they don't have. And then says that God is withholding from them and he comes at them with lust. If you just have this, it'll fill you. It's a delight to the eyes. And so the thing that I see here, which is so interesting is, and this is something of a revelation I felt like the Lord was giving me, is that this is all a vision problem. This is all a perspective problem. Listen to this. Eve gave attention to the devil in the beginning. Her focus was directed on what she didn't have her eyes saw that the fruit was good, uh, good for food. It was delightful to her eyes. And it was the, uh, she saw that it was um, able to make her uh, or allow her to get something that she wanted, that she desired, which was to be wise. And I started to notice this pattern of vision. It was all this perspective, this skewed perspective. And I started to realize that if the devil can pervert your perspective, then he could subvert the promises of God that he has for you. If he can pervert your perspective and take your eyes and take your attention and, and take your time and make you look at other things, he can actually change what you're going after. And I started to know this is a theme all throughout the Bible. Jesus is like the great optometrist, okay? He is the great visionary. He's always talking about vision and about sight, and which makes me think that it's actually really important to him. And so my main point for this sermon is this. Overcome the devil by fixing your eyes on Jesus. Overcome the devil by fixing your eyes on Jesus constantly, over and over and over again. Jesus is talking about vision. Think about this scripture. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. How about this one? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be filled with light. How about this one? It, before you notice the speck in your brother's eye, take out, of the, take out the log out of your own eye. He's always talking to the Pharisees and, and to the people that are listening to him, have ears to hear and eyes to see, right? He calls the Pharisees blind guides, right? People that are trying to lead the people, but they're actually spiritually blind. He obviously did physical healings with the blind, opening up their eyes. Think about Paul on the road to Damascus, falling off of his horse and scales covered his eyes, making him blind so that he could spiritually see later on. Jesus is the great optometrist. He's all about vision. He's all about perspective. 
And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, something changes, okay? I don't want to just give a Sunday school answer. Well, the answer is Jesus, right? Well, of course it's Jesus, but fixing your eyes, keeping your mind and your eyes on Jesus does something internally to you. The first thing that it does is this. It it causes you to be aware of his presence. When you look at Jesus, you start to be aware that he's in every single space that you're in. And when you're aware of his presence in every aspect, the scriptures say that in his presence is fullness of joy. So when you're actually fixing your eyes on Jesus, you're satisfied and you're no longer looking for other things that are good for food because you're already filled up on the bread of life. And so when you fix your eyes on Jesus, it brings this awareness of his presence. And when you're aware that Jesus is in the room, do you think lack can exist where Jesus is? No, he is the source of satisfaction. He is the one that prepares the table for us to eat from, to fill us so that we can overflow. My cup overflows. There cannot be any lack when our eyes are fixed on Jesus. It brings the awareness of his presence. It brings a perspective to see things as they are, actually are. You see, what Jesus does all throughout the scriptures is he uncovers dark things and shines his light on them. And when you fix your eyes on Jesus, he actually becomes a lens by which you start to see the world. And then you start to see his presence, his light, his goodness, even in the darkest places, because his glory, the knowledge of his glory is filling the earth. And he becomes a lens by which you start to see the world. And when you start to see through Jesus, things start changing in your heart. When you look at Jesus you start being filled with truth because Jesus is the word and he is the truth. And when you start looking at Jesus, you start being filled with the truth that sets you free. So when the devil comes at you with a lie, bye devil, I'm looking at Jesus. I'm looking at the truth that stood before the foundations of the world. Nothing that you say to me. If you say I'm lovable, guess what God's word says? That you love me before the foundations of the world. Oh, devil, you're telling me I'm unworthy? Oh, that's interesting because God shed his blood for me, literally poured out his grace upon me, his riches, his kindness, everything in his presence. He poured it out on me. So to call me unworthy is ridiculous, devil. Why? Because I'm looking at Jesus and focusing on the truth. The last thing that I observed is that when we look at Jesus, perfect peace comes. It says this in Isaiah 26, 3, it says that he whose mind is stayed on the Lord, in other words, fixed on the Lord, has perfect peace. And it's just like the story of Peter. When he looks down at the, wa- the shaky waves, he becomes just as shaky as what he's looking at. But when you look at Jesus, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, our solid, unshakable rock, who is the founder of an unshakable kingdom, when life comes at you, your eyes are fixed on Jesus, let the winds come. Let the waves come because you're focused on something that is fixed and solid. This is all what fixing our eyes on Jesus brings. And so how do we overcome the devil? We don't allow him to take our attention off of Jesus and look at something else. We allow our attention to stay purely devoted to looking, to studying Jesus. Because I've realized this. You become what you behold. Whatever you look at, you become just like that. 
And when you, it's, it's noticeable, right? Even in children, you start to notice little mannerisms that they pick up from their mom, they pick up from their dad. I remember it was super weird. <laughs> it was super weird when I started noticing, you know, when I got into my 20s, I started noticing, I'm like, I would do something and I would be like, whoa, that was my dad. That totally just came out. Why? Because I was with him, I spent time with him and I observed everything that he was doing. And it's the same thing with Jesus. When you fix your eyes on Jesus, you start to become more like him. You start to see how he operates. You start to see how he heals. You start to see what he says, right? What he says to people, how he operates in different situations, in different circumstances, and it changes you. And so how do we overcome the devil? We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to do that, Centerpoint Church. I want to encourage you to keep your eyes fixed, to keep your eyes steady on him because he is unshakable, especially at this time. If you find yourself, your attention being dragged off somewhere else and it's leading you into temptation, it's leading you into sin, it's leading you into heaviness, now's the time to shift your gaze off of the things that the devil has been distracting you with and to fix your eyes on him so that you can become steadfast and solid, so that you can be filled with perfect peace and so that you can become more like him. So this scene happens in the garden, right? Adam and Eve are in the garden. And when Jesus came on the scene, I believe that everything that Jesus did was to reverse the fall. (laughs) And we notice in scripture in Matthew 26, Jesus actually goes back into a garden before he goes to die on the cross. And while in the first garden, Adam and Eve said, not your will, God, but mine be done, Jesus goes into another garden before he is crucified, and he says, not my will, but yours be done, God. And he does this whole role reversal, reversing the fall, and he brings three of his disciples in to pray with him, and he says, watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. Watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. He's, he's bringing them into this new creation reality of how you should operate in the garden, Watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. But what does he do? He goes in to pray and he comes back. And it says that the disciples had fallen asleep because their eyes had become heavy. And I believe that there's some people listening right now that your eyes have become heavy. That you've entered with God maybe into the garden, but you kind of created a distance and you've been falling asleep. Or maybe you've been asleep for a long time and you've never actually had God come to you and say, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. Wake up. That word watch actually means wake up. Maybe you've never woken up to the reality that you had a God that loved you, that wanted to reverse every wrong thing in your life and bring you into victory. Maybe you never knew that there was a God who got up on a cross and spilled his blood out for you, gave his life up for you because he loved you, because he valued you, because he saw worth in you. Maybe you never knew that, or maybe you've just been falling asleep over and over again because your eyes have become heavy, because your heart has become weary, and you don't really know what you're doing in this time. And right now, I want to give you an opportunity to step into a new reality, to not live as Adam and Eve did, allowing their attention to focus on other things, believing the schemes and the lies, the lust, the lack that the devil gave them. Instead, come into a new creation garden where we believe what Jesus says, where we know that there's no lack in the kingdom where we, don't, we know that our desires don't have to get the best of us, our flesh doesn't have to get the best of us because he's already filled us. Yeah. 
where we know that we have the God of all truth. So right now, wherever you're at, I want to encourage you to step into this new reality. Whether it's for the first time or you're rededicating your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you, it's the best decision you could ever make to step into a relationship with a God that loves you, that adores you, that forgives you, that holds you close, that is close to the brokenhearted, and he's with you. And right now, I want, you, I want to encourage you to pray with me. I want you to encourage you to, to actually seek God in this moment. Maybe put your hands out like this and talk to him. <laughs> and we could just talk to him together. Say something like this to God. Say, Jesus, I need you and I love you. I need you to forgive my sin. I've been allowing my attention to go to other places and I haven't been looking at you. I haven't been fixing my eyes on you. I've been led into lack. I've been led into lies. I've been led into lust. And there's something different that needs to happen for my life. Change me, God. Transform me, God. And just say that to him right now. Transform me, God. Heal me. I ask for your forgiveness. Change my life. And if you pray that right now, a button's going to come up on the screen and maybe you could type it in the comments. Just say, I gave my life to Jesus or click on that button that says raise hands in the comments and let us know that you've given your life or rededicated your life to Jesus. We would love to pray with you. We would love to get you connected. We would love to love on you and teach you how to walk in this new relationship with Jesus. Centerpoint Church, we love you so much. So glad that you could be with us. Before you go, we are going to enter into a time of celebrating what Jesus has done celebrating his victory on the cross. I'm going to invite Pastor John and Pastor Will up to lead us in a communion moment. Thank you so much for being here. Be blessed. Hallelujah. Welcome, Centerpoint family, again. This is a blessed time. We call it communion. And, you know, communion represents two things. It represents, number one, our communion that we have our fellowship that we have with Christ Jesus through his blood. And the second one is our fellowship that we have one with another. And we just praise God right now because, you know, this has been a traumatic week for us. But God has given us the blessing of his love to come together as a family. Amen. So I'm going to ask Brother John to come with me right now. And I said that for a reason, you know, we are so blessed to know each other, not only as pastor to pastor, but also brother to brother. And I want you to know that I love you, brother. I love you, man. Let us partake of the communion. And I want to just share with you just real quickly what communion is really all about, but then just understand what we're going to do now. So I'm going to invite you just for a moment while I prepare the elements to go ahead and grab maybe a piece of bread or a cracker maybe get you some juice and just kind of follow along. If this is new for you, just mimic what we do. But I want you to take a moment to reflect on the cross of Christ. Brother Aaron said to you, fix your eyes on Christ Jesus. Yeah. This is that opportunity to do it right now. So gather around and let us celebrate the Lord together in his completed work on the cross. Amen. Pastor John, this is his body that was broken open for you.
Pastor Will, this is his body broken for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of him. Pastor John, this is his blood that was shed for you on a cross for the remission of your sins. Pastor Will, this is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before your throne right now. We fix our eyes on your Son, our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, but was raised to life everlasting. For as we celebrate this, Lord, we celebrate not only his life, his death, but his resurrection, Lord. We thank you, Heavenly Father, because of this great work that he has done, we have fellowship with you. Yes. And we thank you, Lord. Thank you. And as a center point family, Lord, we just come right now, Heavenly Father, and we just praise you and we magnify your name Amen. that we have fellowship one with another. Amen. Your word says, Heavenly Father, keep unity in the spirit through the bond of peace. Thank and we receive that peace, O oh Lord, because we have received that peace from you. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father, just thank you for this time to not only worship you, but to reflect on your completed work in Thank Jesus' you. name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen.